afternoon in 720 WGN. If you're a parent, you know trying to get your children to eat healthy, eat fruits and vegetables, is an enormous task. Some kids just do not want to do it. If you are a parent of a child in a struggling or underserved neighborhood in Chicago, that gets even more and more difficult. Well, one organization is trying to remedy that with very unique programs. Melissa Graham is with me. She is the head spear, the founding CEO of Purple Asparagus in Chicago. Welcome, Melissa. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. All right, so explain, first of all, what... Purple, exper- uh, purple asparagus, asparagus is, because I love asparagus, the green, I've never actually had the purple. Yes. So we're a nonprofit that uh, educates children, families, and the community about eating that's good for the body and the planet. And that's a hard message, because we're, we're bombarded with that all the time, to the point where I think a lot of us just tune it out. Like, oh, yeah, we're, uh, yeah. yeah no more yeah. French fries, I get uh, it. Yeah, yep, yep, <laughs> I, I absolutely agree. So the way our approach is, uh, we have a class called Delicious Nutritious Adventures that we offer in uh, Chicago public schools, underserved communities, mm-hmm. uh, to young elementary school students. Okay. And is that, that, like with most things, you have to get kids when they're young. Yes. Because for whatever reason, there's certain foods that even as an adult, I'm like, I don't want... and. I don't know if perhaps had I been exposed to them as a young kid, it would change my mind. Well, you know what? Uh, let me explain the rules of purple yes, asparagus. please that, do. Because that'll probably help a little bit. When we go into a classroom, we talk to the kids about our two special rules. Um, the first is that we ask every kid to take a polite bite ah. of the ingredient that we're trying. It doesn't have to be a big one, but just a taste. The second, and I think more important rule, is that we call our classes while we're there a no yuck zone. <laughs> All right. Yeah. That makes because that's the first thing. Yeah, and you can tell it doesn't even have to be a verbal yuck. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the the face tells a thousand stories. That 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 is right. And what we found over the years is that when one kid, and it could be a very vocal kid would like something, then it would influence everybody else. Right. But on the other hand, if yes. you have somebody who sits there and says, that is just gross, then it, you know, it, it, it gets the other kids not to want to try it, and they may love it. Is it, is it more of a problem in underserved communities because there, in a lot of these food de- deserts, there's a lack of fresh fruits and vegetables? Mm-hmm. Also, fruits and vegetables tend to be more expensive than you know a bag of chips or yeah. something else, so yeah. we get used to eating a certain way, and then just even the taste and texture is so foreign to us that we we just can't grasp it. Yeah, and and the thing is that we always look at our, our parents as the people we're ultimately serving. Mm-hmm. They want to feed their children well. They, they want to do right by their kids. But it is expensive. Yeah. And they don't have the resources to introduce um, an, a fruit or vegetable eight times. And that's oftentimes it's eight right. to 10 times before a kid will like it. Okay. So what we're doing is we're short circuiting it and we're giving kids the tools and the language about how to try things and how to explore food. And that's all about, it's like why we call our program an adventure. Yeah. It's about exploring. It's about having fun. It's not about, as you said, you know, getting in their face and then shaking your finger and saying, you must eat this. Yeah, that's never going to work. It doesn't work with eating. It doesn't work with anything. It doesn't work with adults. No, definitely not. Yeah. So, all right, that's an interesting fact that you mentioned, eight to 10 times, because I know when my daughter was little, we would try, and one time, if she didn't like it one time, it was like, oh, maybe we try a second time and then it was all right we better move on to something else so how as a parent how do you then how do you break into times three through ten to see if if the kid is really going to come around try it in different ways okay you know a lot of that is you know a kid may not like it 
in one particular way, but they may like it in another. Okay. They may, you know, um, vegetables. Like they may not like boiled beets, but maybe they're going to like them roasted. Yeah. Or maybe try peas in uh, with a sauce or, you know, yeah. just a, just being creative about it and playing with it. it when, you, when you're talking to the parents as well, are there experiences not only from the economic side, but... They had bad experiences with fruits oh, yeah. or vegetables yeah. when they were kids. They're like, I'm not eating it. I'm not making my kid eat it. My mom made me eat yep. Brussels sprouts every Sunday, and I hated them. Yeah, we have uh, family cooking programs <laughs> that we try to introduce. Uh, we try to introduce parents to the vegetables and fruits and, uh, and to our approach. I sometimes like to call those classes, are you pickier than a first grader? <laughs> Yes. A lot of times they are. And it's a lot of times they have preconceived expectations about what their kid will and will not try. And then all of a sudden they get into the classroom and these parent cooking classes are with the parents and kids together. Right. They'll all of a sudden see their kids trying things that they never thought that they would and being excited to do it. Okay. And it's like, wow, you know, maybe I should try this approach. So how did you come to found Purple Asparagus? Uh, you know, I was a I was an attorney. I was a career changer, and I wanted wow, to. That is a, that's a huge. It jump. is a big a big jump. I was a I was a tax attorney, so wow. um, you know, not really anything aligned with this. Okay. Uh, I was involved with an organization called Slow Food. Uh, Slow Food is um, trying to combat fast food. Okay. Uh, and it's um, many events that we had were wine and cheese focused, but it was still about bringing people introducing people to the pleasures of the table so there was a group of us and we decided we wanted to do something similar but for families yeah. and it just evolved over the years we developed this lesson plan and just at about in 2011 started rolling it out into schools was it a an easy sell to cps or was it difficult uh, it's an easy sell to our to our to our classrooms. Yeah. yeah, and it's since you're focusing on underserved communities, it, is there a cost to the school? Is uh, the school district takes care of it? Well, how does that There's work? There's a minimal program fee that okay. that um, that um, schools will pay, and it's a sliding scale yeah. ranging from two fifty to a thousand. Okay, the program costs otherwise are covered by our donations and our fundraising. Right, and we're going to get into that because you just had a big fundraising event. Uh, PurpleAsparagus.org is the website. Where you can get all the information and find out if you want to uh, want to help. There's a big problem with obesity, not only in the country amongst adults, but amongst kids, and that's another focus of purple asparagus, yeah, too, correct? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, everybody knows if you eat more fruits and vegetables, that's probably a way to, to stem that tide. But it's, a, again, a tough sell sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's getting kids to eat more of it, because you're absolutely right. If they fill up on those calories and get the processed food out of their diet... Yeah. You can be well on your way to a healthy lifestyle. It's really not. It's not rocket science. It's just, you know, it's it's, <laughs> it really, it's just good it, food. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it should be, but then when you really start to break things down, you go, well, this is why it is harder than it should be because mm -hmm. of all different sorts of uh, all different sorts of uh, elements and uh, situations. So. We're going to talk about walk. I want you to walk us through one of these classes. Oh, well, yeah. We're going to take a quick break and sure. do this. When we come back, we'll walk through the class. We'll uh, we'll talk more about what it takes to get these programs into the schools. All of that. Uh, Melissa Graham is my guest. She is the head spear, the founding CEO of Purple Asparagus. You can go to purpleasparagus.org. You can follow them on Twitter at Purple Asparagus. All the social media channels. We'll talk more with Melissa on the other side. This is, of course, 720 WGN. Sorry, Ben. <laughs> ben Anderson in there pulling uh, quadruple duty today in the producer booth. He was 
did White Sox, and uh, now he's jumped in to cover uh, this show, and then he's got two more shows. So Ben will get out of here about 4 o'clock this morning. Uh, and I said, oh, don't worry. I'll handle the bumps. I can do that. Right. But I'm busy talking to Melissa Graham. She is the founding CEO and head spear at Purple Asparagus. Purpleasparagus.org is their website. Follow them on Twitter at Purple Asparagus. Uh, teaching kids, families, and communities about healthier eating. And uh, all right, we mentioned before eight to ten times of trying something. Mm-hmm. Yep. There is a point, though, some people just don't like things. There, correct? That is true. Because that is I, true. I yeah. hate peas. I like a lot of I like a lot of other vegetables, most vegetables, mm-hmm. and I like mo- a lot of fruits. Um, but man, peas, I can't stand them. Yeah, and I know I've had them more than ten times in my life. <laughs> it's just not 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 gonna not gonna fit. Okay, so some yeah. sometimes they're it's not always going to take yep. for one particular item. Right. But overall, if you change a mindset of, or right, I don't like this vegetable, but I like all these other vegetables. It's okay if I eat these vegetables, and I never eat this vegetable again, right? Absolutely. All right, so now the program last year served about 1,200 kids, correct? Yep. And you go to the you go to these schools, mm-hmm. and you have you said you had a couple different classes. Let's talk about the one where you go in just for the students. So yes. you got they say, oh, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a uh, food special uh, project today. Right. What happens when right. you arrive? Right. So as I mentioned, um, we, we start out with the rules. Uh, we, we gather the students on the rug in their classroom and we go through the rules of purple asparagus, the polite bite, the no yuck zone. Uh, then we read a book. We read a book that, um, that features the highlighted ingredient um, mm-hmm. of the month. Oh. Uh, so um, for, uh, we start with apples, but I'll describe the next month, which okay. is squash and pumpkin. Ooh, it's a great right. one. So we read this book about how, you know, how squash are grown, what they get used for, some his, some some of the history of like squash and seeds and all of that. And then we give we teach the kids taste and texture vocabulary words. We oh, always okay. introduce two words to them. Three great nutrition facts, um, just really interesting stuff, and then of course one crazy fact. In each okay. of our <laughs> the crazy fact for the squash and pumpkin is that you can eat essentially every part of a squash. Really, the skin, the seeds, the leaves, the blossoms, the stem, everything, the whole I thing. I yeah. didn't know that either. Yeah. See. See, I'm learning like a first grader. Exactly. This is very exciting. Exactly. So then after we've uh, after we've done that, we we bring them back to their tables and we take them through a guided tasting. Okay. And so uh, we have them try four different uh, bites of the featured ingredient. So in that session, it's um, pumpkin seeds, pumpkin butter, pumpkin puree right mm-hmm. out of the can. Okay. And you, <laughs> said, you said pumpkin puree. I've never eaten it just by itself. It's really not something that people most most people would eat by itself. Yeah, and you got to have and sugar are, and nutmeg and yeah, everything else yeah, in there, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we are very clear to them. Just take a little <laughs> bite. Just a little bite. And then uh, raw, raw zucchini slice. And okay. after each of the tastes, we um, have them talk and observe and make and, and have conversations among themselves about what they like, what they don't like. We bring the attention back to the center of the of the room and we go th- and we ask them after each taste what do you like about it what do you not like about it and they know that they don't have to like everything okay we just ask them if they're going to say they don't like something what do they not like about yeah. it yeah is it it tastes like baby food that's that's oh, one that we get a lot for the the squash and pumpkin okay yeah for just the puree part or all of all of for the, the puree part okay. yeah yeah and yeah, or like sense. with the pump or the pumpkin butter they'll they'll um they'll they'll pick up those uh those spices that they can taste okay. the cinnamon and the, a lot of them say it tastes like apple pie ah all right so 
after, and then the third component is that we um, make recipes with the ingredients. Oh, nice! So that's where the magic comes yeah. in. Yeah, you know, I mentioned that the squash is not the not the most favored ingredient raw, raw on its sure. own. Um, but we transform it into a recipe. Okay. And, and these are very simple recipes that the kids make make by themselves at their desk, each individually. Oh, okay. So one of the recipes is pumpkin yogurt. Uh, simply taking that squash puree, stirring it into plain yogurt, a little bit of honey, a little bit of cinnamon, and the kids are like, what? I didn't like nice. it this way, right. but now I love it. Okay. Yeah. And then do they, get, do they get these recipes to take home so that hopefully now you've moved... Because mm-hmm. the kids are going to go home and go, Mom, Dad, I just yep. this yogurt was great with yep. the thing. And so that's how you do that. They get it in two ways. Okay. So the, the first way they get it is um, the parents get a handout that, that after each class. Right. Uh, it goes home with them. They can make the recipes right away. But we also have um, this big component to our program, these laminated cards that serve as the plate for the, okay. for the program. Pictures of the ingredients on one side, recipes on the back. Ah, nice. The teachers keep them after each class, cut them into quarters, uh, Put them onto a binder clip, and yeah. the kids at the end of the year go home with their own purple asparagus. Cookbook. Oh, okay. So now, so this is not then just a one-time deal. No. These schools, these schools that are, are part of the program, you're going there once a month. Once a month. Once a month, and the, so by the end of the school year, they've got seven different seven different vegetables or fruits. Seven nine, different nine, nine, nine. and yeah. then yeah. I keep thinking school. <laughs> yeah, it's shorter. okay. School should be twelve months, yeah. but all right. So now, so nine months. They've got, uh, you know, they've got all these recipes. They've got all this new knowledge. What's the difference? Is is it the same type of lesson plan when you're doing it with the, the kids and the parents, or is it? Do you add? You must add some more for the for the adults. We, you right? know, we um, it's a it's an hour long program, and we introduce the, the the parents to the rules. We talk about um, our approach to healthy eating, and then we just have the make the recipes. Yeah. We we picked some of the most popular recipes in our class. The parents and kids are there together. The parents watch the kids making the recipe, and, and the parents then also get to ask us questions. Yeah, and we, you know, we don't look at ourselves necessarily as experts. Well, we are, but we're more guides on the side. Mm-hmm. We're the people who can um, give them confidence because yeah. that's a big part of it. Well, and if people haven't been exposed to certain ingredients, they might not know how to cook them. You know, I see yeah, squash right. when I go to the Jewel, but. I may, maybe I don't do know it. what to do with it. It's right. it's some big hard thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So that's for for that aspect alone. It's got to be nice for the parents to have somebody they can ask. All right, how hard is it to make this? How hard is it to prepare this? What do I do? Right, right. And we, you know, I. We, um, while we have some chefs who run our program and some nutritionists, really a lot of times it's just good home cooks. Yeah. People who can go in and talk to parents and talk to kids about food, get them excited about it, and then really just inspire confidence. Well, it's a great program. And I know as I was reading some things, you said one of the, one of the challenges for purple asparagus is because you don't have big name chefs associated yeah. with it. You don't have big name restaurant chains behind it. Right. You're, you're a grassroots organization that is already doing great work. So how can people get involved and help out? Well, two different ways. I mean, obviously, we're always looking for treasure. Yes. Uh, donations. <laughs> um, but we're also looking for time. Um, volunteers are the lifeblood of our organization, and many of our programs are run by volunteers. Yeah. Uh, we have one program manager and then a contract person that works with her. But uh, I, you know, a third of our programs are strictly volunteer run. Very nice. And people can people can tell you, listen, I can do one day. I yeah. can do this. Yeah. And, but it always helps. You just had a big fundraiser, correct? In uh, last month or early. 
a couple weeks ago. A couple weeks ago. And how, what would that had a uh, it had a catchy name? I remember. Uh, Purple I by night. Purple by night. Yes. And how did it? Did you do well? We did well. Very we good. Very happy. So I saw also in the the stories I was reading that if people if there's a company listening, somebody somebody who's got deep pockets. Yes. If somebody and this is a big ask, but if somebody can drop forty k, yep. How many schools can that help? Eight new schools. Eight schools. Yeah. So you know if you're listening and you're you know part of the uh, giving wing of your corporation, perhaps you look into purple asparagus and uh, and help them out because it is. I teach in a lower economic area, and it is it's important. Mm-hmm. You know that you see what you see what the kids get for their school lunch. Uh-huh. It's you know the yeah. the guidelines supposedly are met. Mm-hmm. Most of that gets thrown away because the mm-hmm. kids don't want to eat the vegetables or the salad or That's the right. or That's that kind right. of stuff. So that all that waste is there. Yeah. So this way, if you start educating kids that hey, you know what, a radish is pretty good. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. good by itself. It's good in a salad. It's, or try some squash. Yeah. Try and, some different you know, things. And just you know, a lot of people ask me what the impact of our program. Yes. Is. And it's been pretty amazing. Uh, 76% of parents report that their kids are eating more fruits after the program. Nice. 67% report that they're eating more vegetables. Really? Yeah. That's terrific. Yeah. That is terrific. So purpleasparagus.org is the website. You go there, get all the information. If you want to follow Purple Asparagus on social media, it's at Purple Asparagus. I, one, it's a very catchy name. How did you pick out of all the crazy vegetables that people would not uh, would not associate themselves with? How did you say, yeah, purple asparagus? That's the one I need. It was one of our board members, and I will tell you, we definitely would not be uh, named purple asparagus had we not been founded in April. Oh, really? Because it was the farmers markets were just oh, opening okay. and beautiful displays of purple, purple asparagus. asparagus. Purple's a fun color. Asparagus is. is a funny name. Yes, you put it, those two together. No, it's it's a perfect name for something like this. Yeah. I, I've never had purple asparagus. I mean, is it? How does it differ from regular asparagus? Uh, it doesn't really differ very really? much at all. And Just when the you color? and when you cook it, it it turns green. Oh, does it really? <laughs> it does. It oh, does. now I'm disappointed. I'd be looking forward to a nice purple <laughs> purple side, and it'd be green again. Oh, what's the difference? If you lightly grill it and then sl- uh, and then sliver it, then you can keep then I you keep can the retain purple? the purple right. color. Well, that's yes. it. but that's it's a- pretty. Yeah, if I'm going to eat something purple, I want the purple to, to last the entire time. <laughs> Melissa Graham uh, is the CEO of Purple Asparagus. Go to purpleasparagus.org, get all the information, help out if you can. It's a great, uh, great thing. And again, it's not preaching at the kids. Nobody responds well to being hit over the head with a message. you got to get it in there a little sneaky, and and it works. It's obviously paying off. Thank you for being here, Thank and you. good luck. Congratulations on uh, the success so far. All right, uh, very short break, then it's news, 720 WGN. Brian Newman, 720 WGN. Here until 7 o'clock. And Karen's not here tonight, right? She is. Uh, Karen is off tonight. It's Paul Farfar. Uh, He's in for Karen. All right. Uh, that's at 7 o'clock. After 6 o'clock, we are going to turn our attention to beer. Oh, what a surprise, Brian. You never talk about beer on your program. Uh, Daniel D'Alessandro, D'Alessandro, the executive director of the Illinois Craft Brewers Guild, will be here along with Mike Pallon, the owner and head brewer at Microphone Brewing. Illinois Craft Beer Week starts May 10th. Big fundraiser that night. We'll find out all about Illinois Craft Beer Week and... Uh, surprising to me, the economic impact that craft beer has had on this state. So we will talk about all of that after 6 o'clock. 
I mentioned, if you saw the Facebook post about the show, that I'm uh, uncharacteristically drowsy today coming in because I was up... This is not this is not how I roll usually anymore. Uh, I was up till after four o'clock this morning and not not working. I was out socializing because last night I had the privilege of once again hosting the uh, induction gala for the Irish American Hall of Fame, and it is a uh, this was the ninth year that the Hall of Fame has inducted a class. Very exciting. Every year the classes get more and more impressive, and every year I am shocked at uh, the shocked and awed by the characters and the stories of the inductees. Last night was no exception. I This was my fifth year doing it. I can't... Uh, I'm always surprised that they keep having me back. I must do okay. I'm saying that with uh, modesty. I must do all right because, uh, like I said, they keep having me back. So I had to get had to get gussied up. You know, put on the, uh, put on the tuxedo. Oh, and, uh, and then head down. And yes, it was so. Here's it. Oh, this you want you. This is Brian as a dandy. So I got some new shoes to go with my tuxedo, and they're like a suede formal loafer. They're oh man, they're very uh, very stylish. I guess I don't know. That's that's what that's kind of how I looked at them because I used to wear just regular old black dress shoes, which were fine. But I thought you know what, I want to step it up a little bit. I want to get. Uh, I want to take my formal wear look to the next level. So I got these shoes, and of course, then yesterday it's snowy and rainy, and I was like, "Well, uh, first of all, I didn't. You know, sometimes you buy suede shoes or you have suede boots in the, and you know you're going to be wearing them in the winter, so you spray them with that waterproof stuff to make sure that nothing seeps through, that everything is uh, nice and uh, watertight, like a duck's behind. Well, I bought these shoes at the end of April. Figuring I'm wearing them in the spring into summer. I don't I don't need to treat them for winter conditions. Well, obviously I forgot where I live because I should have treated these uh, shoes for winter conditions. Suffice it to say I did not wear them too down to the event. I had to I put them in my backpack like some uh, like like you see all the ladies at a wedding when they bring when they have their high heels but they bring comfortable shoes. So I, I was dressed full tux, my gym shoes, as I, as I went down there, so that then I could, uh, I could switch my shoes without them getting, without them getting nasty. Uh, the, the event was sold out. It was great. The Irish American Heritage Center, in the years that I've been associated with it, has evolved tremendously. It is a, uh, is a first-class organization down there. Year-round, not just for the uh, Hall of Fame induction gala, but for... Here's the... All right, Roger, you're a news guy. I know you're scrubbing down your workstation, but I have to ask. Uh, do you say gala or gala? Or gala? Uh, gala. You say gala? Yeah. All right. I, 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 gala sounds like there should be a Y in there. I know. And I, uh, I know people say it both, uh, both ways, and I think I say it both ways, even in the, even in the same... Like, in my remarks last night, I might have said it both ways, gala and gala, because I can't settle on one. So I'll Well, say, it's kind of like route and route. Right. If exactly. you're describing a street. Obviously, route when right. one team beats up another, but... But, yeah, it could be, you say route, you know, route 66, but route 45. Yeah, see, there's uh, yeah, another... I, I, English I, language is horrible. 
right. And try teaching the English language. Well, you probably have. Try teaching the English language to a six-year-old who is just learning English and try to explain why where sounds one way and were sounds another and, uh, you know, the five different kinds of two. (laughs) It's like, stop. But anyway, so the gala. So I'm at the gala. Um, The center is terrific. If you haven't been to the Irish American Heritage Center, I can't uh, stress strongly you should go. Even if you're not Irish and you just want to hang out and have a beer or uh, something to eat and hear some great music. They have all sorts of uh, things there. Anyway, so the the gala gets out. Now, I did not uh, I did not have a mishap with the name as I did uh, two years ago that Roger painfully brought up last week that I heard about last night from a couple people on the, on the uh, Board of Governance. They said, oh, we... Uh, we were listening to you speaking about the, uh, you know, the gala that was coming up, and you uh, and your newsman brought up your your mistake. I said, "Yeah, my newsman is uh, kind of a jerk," uh, but no mishaps last night. I was able to I was able to get through all the names correctly. I had practiced them. Uh, I did I did write out a few phonetically for myself because I figured it doesn't matter. The people whose name I say, or the families of those inductees, they're not going to see my script. They don't know if I've spelled the names out phonetically. As long as I pronounce them correctly, nobody's going to care. Uh, Our boss was there, Roger. Our big boss. Like the man who oversees the whole kit and caboodle. Ooh. Yeah, and he was sitting, you know where he was sitting? Dead center, second row. Right in your your face. Right in my eye line, right there, boom, straight up. Uh, and I see. I saw him briefly beforehand. Uh, he was there as he was sitting next to one of the inductees. He was a, a good friend of one of the inductees, and uh, I saw him prior to the event at the bar. They were all all the guys were all hanging out waiting for cocktail hour to start, which is nice because you pre cocktail to go to the cocktail hour, which you know, I would have too. So it, it all starts. I may I start my remarks and. You know, it's a it's a it's a banquet crowd. So they're and everybody's dressed to the nines. They're a little uptight. Everybody's a little you know a little stiff. And I had I don't go in there doing quote unquote comedy. I may I I'm humorous and funny as I always am. I'm gregarious as hell. There's no doubt about that. But I have you know I have some uh, more thoughtful thought provoking commentary about uh, the Irish. I have uh, things about myself that are uh, funny. But last night, I guess I, I decided I was going to try to be a little a little funnier because I started out and I got a nice laugh. Uh, no, the first thing I said, I didn't get nothing, no response, nothing. People had just sat down; they were eating their salad. I don't know if they didn't hear me. And in my mind, I went, "Oh, you're bombing!" And, I, and then the rational mind took over and went, "Hey, dork, you've been on stage like three seconds. Relax, everything's fine." So there was a table of nuns up front. So. Stand up, stand up, Brian kicks in, and I go, I go to the nuns, and I make a couple jokes about doing a ruler sweep throughout the room, and how I'm nervous whenever I'm in front of nuns because they give me that look, and I'm expecting, you know, I'm expecting to have to go to the principal's office, and now everybody's laughing, and then I, oh yeah, I did this. Even the nuns? Oh, the nuns. Well, the nuns are smiling. Nuns don't laugh, Roger. Yeah, that's true. Listen, nuns are serious women. They, they will, they show amusement by not hitting you with a rosary. That's yeah. how I knew I was... Probably in their minds, they're going, mm, that's cute. Yeah. And they're like, hmm, we're going to make a call. He's going straight to hell. Uh, that, that's what's happening in their minds. They were very lovely women. There were actually two tables of nuns. I was surrounded. I had nuns to the left of me, nuns to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. 
Uh, so I, I do. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> Ben's like, oh, that's pretty good. I like a good Steelers wheel takeoff. That's fantastic. Nobody does those anymore. Not a lot of guys making the Steelers wheel references. I pull it out. Why not? I was almost going to go Finns, a Jimmy, Bu- <laughs> a Jimmy Buffett Finns reference, but I went Steelers wheel instead. Uh, so it's it's going and now I'm you know things go well I make my points I was pretty uh, I was I was pretty happy with the things I had written my mom was there I made a couple jokes about being a kid with my four Irish brothers and my Irish dad and then my mom being the only woman and uh, those jokes were well received and then we started off and uh, man oh man the inductees were just were just incredible uh, I'll give you a little rundown on that and we've got a lot more to talk about so we will do that after we do this on 720 WGN all right I was uh, I'm seeing the Irish American Hall of Fame black tie gala last night I did have on a black tie studded with beautiful green shamrocks, in case you were wondering. Uh, so I, I started to talk about the class of inductees, and I just want to uh, real quick highlight a few. Pat Roach was inducted. He is a dance legend. Influenced uh, His influence was crucial in the development of Irish dancing worldwide. His family represented very well. There were there were tons, because Pat Roach... Uh, influenced Trinity Irish dancers who you've seen at from the St. Patrick's Day Parade to any Irish event. He was in the Shannon Rovers. This guy, this guy was the uh, force behind the Irish dance movement in not only Chicago but in this country. Uh, he learned. He taught Michael. Michael flatly learned under him, and all of that. And it was fun to hear the little uh, the friction in that in that relationship, but. Pat Roach's family was there. They couldn't have been more gracious. And part of the thing when you're inducted into the Hall of Fame, you get a beautiful crystal vase. And it's engraved with the Hall of Fame logo. It's a beautiful thing. Well, Pat Roach's family, uh, let's just say they know how to party. They do not They do not disappoint this uh, this clan. So at one point, after it was all over, I was standing up front, and two of the, I don't know what relationship they are. They might have been, I think they were grandchildren of Pat Roach. They came up, and this beautiful crystal vase was half full of Guinness. And they were like, "Woo! hey, you want to take a drink out of the Stanley Cup? Who am I to say no? So I took a big swig of Guinness out of, it's like drinking out of the, it, it is like drinking out of the Stanley Cup. And you may think, uh, who knows whose lips were on there? I don't know. I, I, I took a gamble. So I took a big swig of Guinness out of this beautiful crystal vase, and then they went off on their merry way to- <laughs> <laughs> to pass it around to, pass to other it, people. Pass it around yeah, to other right. people. Well, at that point, my lips are already on there. So. <laughs> and as of today, there's no tingling or redness. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to guess everything's fine. Uh, I, I hope. I'll, yeah, I'll let you know. Day's not week. over yet. Yeah, I'll <laughs> let you know. Uh, but so that was fun. Uh, James J. O'Connor was there. He's the former CEO of uh, ComEd. He started the Big Shoulders Fund, the uh, Irish Funds. He does all. He does all this great philanthropic work as well as his uh, unbelievable business career. He was there with his uh, grown children and their grand and grandchildren. He was very. He was very moving. Actually, it turns out we went to the same high school. Oh, look this at that. Is, this is, this, you know, this is how powerful people surprise you. Because mm-hmm. afterwards it's all done. And I, I don't think of myself as powerful, one, or, you know, well, no, any of that. Right. So I'm, I'm always very surprised. Very for sure, humble. I'm very humble. Yeah. 
uh, almost to the point of psychosis, where people are like, really? But anyway, afterwards, I went up to him to introduce myself and congratulate him on being inducted and to tell him that he and I both went to St. Ignatius. And I said, oh, Mr. O'Connor, congratulations. Uh, you're, you know, we're very proud to have you in the Hall of Fame. I uh, just, you know, I went to St. Ignatius, too. He goes, oh, I know. I checked up on you. I was like, that's why. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Listen, I'm not going to an event unless I background check the guy who's emceeing this thing. Because if I show up and it's some jamoke, no. (laughs) I already saw he graduated from Southern, so strike one. But, oh, okay, he went to Ignatius. He must have some sort of, there's got to be some baseline, uh, you know, intelligence or something that will lend a, a a hair of gravitas, yeah, to the to the proceedings. Yeah. Well, so, he didn't get to be such a, a very important person without doing background checks and, I and guess. checking up on people seriously. Well, I get well. Listen, he, I must have passed muster because he yeah. he came with his, his family and uh, it was very very nice. I got to meet one of John McCain's children last night. Really? Uh, yes, because John McCain was inducted into the Hall of Fame, and his daughter Sydney. And her husband were there, and they were sitting. Um, I don't sit much of the much of the gala because I'm up galleying. Yeah, and uh, emceeing. Right, the I'm emceeing. I'm hosting. Yeah. I'm yeah. running. I'm keeping things moving, Roger. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm injecting some humor where necessary. Mm-hmm. I'm revving the crowd back up when I feel that they're starting to, you know, because it's a, it's almost it's two and a half hours. Yeah, or two and a half, almost three hours sometimes, and uh, you know, almost like a uh, the End Game movie. You know? Right, people need certain breaks. Right, you so know. I came up and I snapped my fingers. Half the audience was gone. Oh. It was a lot of fun. Uh, weird. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, that was probably a mistake." No, because <laughs> half the inductees were gone. That was the weird thing. Like, oh, oh my god! god. Well, we're Can... saving money on Crystal. That'll be good. <laughs> Just scratch the name off of that vase. We'll use it next year. Ah. Uh, <laughs> but Sydney McCain was was very very nice. She was lovely, and she looked so much like her dad. Oh, it wow. was, and. She was a lovely, lovely woman, and her husband was very nice. They mm-hmm. came in from Milwaukee, and, uh, you know, she her dad hasn't been gone that long. No, less than a year, yes. I think. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the video tribute for each inductee that's put together by Brad Armacost, who is uh, an actor that you've seen in a bunch of stuff, uh, he's a wonderful Chicago guy, great actor, and he puts these tribute videos together every year. Uh, so I say two or three sentences about the inductee and then we play the video and then the person accepting for them has to come up. So now Sydney, who is still, as you said, less than a year removed from her father's passing, watches this video and then has to come up and you could, her emotion was palpable and she, she gave such a, a very nice moving speech and she said and i'm paraphrasing but she basically said listen you you know all about my dad you Mm -hmm. know all about his public life she said i want to tell you a story about him as my dad and it was it was great and people were people were moved people were moved during all the stories well i can imagine sure dorothy day who started the uh, catholic worker program she was uh, she's actually they're starting the process of canonization for her so she was put in uh, Father Scott Donahue, who uh, runs the Mercy Home for Boys and Girls here in Chicago, mm-hmm. he was inducted. Uh, it's funny, man. Uh, you get the some of the religious people get inducted, and they have tables and tables of people, family oh, and friends, wow. and and all these people on the board. I got to meet uh, 
CBS 2's Jim Williams. Do you know Jim Williams, the, uh, the fine um, uh, broadcaster I never, anchor? I have never met him in person. Nor had I, and we are Facebook uh, friends. Right, as, as we are. Sure, that's, yeah. the, that, that's but, when Facebook and the real world collide. It's a wild thing, because I saw him, and I was like, oh, that's Jim Williams. I know him from Facebook and television. And uh, then Kathy, who does, Kathy O'Neill, who's been on this program, who does all the, uh, the PR for the Heritage Center, said, oh, I used to work with Jim Williams. And then afterwards, I'm walking, and I went up, and I said, oh, introduce myself, which you know I don't like to do. I don't like to put myself in a position of, hey, how are you? Do you? But I figured I was still on that post-show high mm-hmm. where, I could, sure. where I feel like I'm worthy enough to walk up to Plus somebody. Plus now and, everyone and in the hands. audience knows who you oh. are because they've been watching you That's for right. two and a half hours. For you know? another six minutes, I am a big shot. There you go. I have a very small window of big shottery, <laughs> and I'm going to use it. I'm going to walk right through that window and right. take advantage of it. There you go. Because at 5.59.59, yeah. I'm like Cinderella. My pumpkin, <laughs> did, my coach turns back into a pumpkin, and I'm gone. Did your slipper fall off when my, you were running? Yes, of course my <laughs> slipper fell course. off because I hadn't sprayed it with the, the waterproof stuff, and my feet were killing me. I've been on my feet since 4.30. It's insanity. <laughs> But I met Jim Williams. He was very nice. nice. Um, Jack O'Callahan was inducted, the uh, member of the uh, 1980 Miracle on Ice team, a very mm. successful financial businessman here in Chicago. He was he was wonderful. A lot of uh, we in his tribute video, we were lucky enough to get Al Michaels wow. to do a little thing, and he said the famous phrase, "Do you believe in miracles?" Wow. So that was that a lot cool. of fun. And Jack was uh, Jack was very gracious. We had uh, he had donated his gold medal his Olympic ring, two of his Olympic jerseys, the Olympic flag and the American flag, all from Lake Placid for us to have on display during cocktail hour in the library as the the, the Roach family had given us a lot of uh, Frank Roach's stuff, his mm-hmm. shoes and his shirt, all, all, wonderful things. Uh, Mother Mary Gerald Berry was inducted. She was the prioress general of the Adrian Dominican Sisters. She made her life's work to educate women, which was great. This was an unbelievable story. Kathleen uh, McNulty Mockley was a woman who was hired as a human computer. She did programming before there was really programming and studied bullet and missile ballistics during World War II. Wow. It's uh, fascinating. You know, and, and now... Uh, one of the supercomputers in Ireland is named after her. So just stories that you would never hear of, and these people these people just do wonderful things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our hometown hero was Fiona McEntee, who is an immigration lawyer. She was very nice. I hope I'm not leaving anybody out. Let me flip through real quick. I had all of them. Nope, I got everybody. You got everybody. Good. Yeah, it was great. And then, uh, you know, then there was me. So... But you were the glue that held this all together. I enjoy emceeing events. I know. Um, because, yeah, I do, you know, because I realize it's not about me. So uh, it's about it's about those people. Exactly. And it's a lot of fun. Sure. So next year is the 10th anniversary. Hopefully I will be uh, back for the big thing. And okay. it, it's nice to see people who, you know, they were honored to be inducted into the hall. But until you get there and you see the people who have been inducted before you, when you see the crowd in this ballroom, and you, it, then it's like, oh, this is, this is pretty cool. Yeah. It's a pretty big deal. Yeah. And that's, ooh, that's nice. Who's and that dapper man up top? Very dapper. Okay. Oh. With that really snappy tie? Yeah. Well, I had to update black. Black tie is boring. 
Yeah. So I still am, you know, I'm still black tie, but it's mm-hmm. got some shamrocks. Now, on it wasn't technically a black tie event. Yes, it is. Technically oh, it is? a black tie oh. event. Oh, oh, oh okay. Well, I don't well, know. I, where... I'm sorry. I stand corrected. Yes, I, you I do. I didn't know. Oh, no. That it it was... is a black tie gala. Wow. Or do you say gala? It is a black tie <laughs> event. Tuxedos, formals. The, the men look sharp. The ladies look. Mm. Ladies all looked phenomenal. Everybody in their uh, fancy party clothes. In their finery. Yeah, till uh, till about 11.30 when mm-hmm. everybody's shoes start coming off because they're Ouch. like, oh my God, my feet are killing me. <laughs> all right, we're going to talk some beer after 6 o'clock because uh, God knows after last night, that's the first thing I need. <laughs> Is, uh, Are you bringing the crystal back into the studio? No, <laughs> no, I didn't. Bring, I had to get. I had to give up the vase. You did. So okay. I didn't, uh, so I, we'll probably drink it out of plastic cups. Well, maybe after number ten next year, they'll give you your own vase. Well, they were very. No, I've gotten. Uh, I've gotten things from that. I actually, okay. they yeah. they gave me a beautiful set of Waterford wine glasses Ooh. for uh, for hosting the event. Very so, nice. Yes, very fancy. I'm very fancy. I like my three buck. Stuff. My three buck Chuck is going to look great. <laughs> Gonna class it up, <laughs> class it up, Roger. Take it right out of the brown bag, yeah. put it into the Waterford. And you know, if you take the label off first, no one will know the Nobody's difference. Nobody's gonna know. I, no. I'm just airing it out. All right, we're late. I got to do this. WGN. <laughs> Brian Noonan on seven twenty WGN. If you listen to this show with any regularity, you know that we enjoy talking about beer, but not your big uh, mass-produced beer. We like talking about craft beer, and especially local craft beer, because Chicago has taken over. Uh, we lead the country, I think, in craft breweries. It is it is an amazing, amazing movement that started, I don't know how long ago, but we'll find out, because I am joined in studio by Danielle D'Alessandro. She is the executive director of the Illinois Craft Brewers Guild, and Mike Palin is the owner and head brewer of Microfo- Microphone Brewing. Illinois Craft Beer Week starts May 10th. Thank you both for coming in. This is very exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Mike, you're going to need that thing to talk into. <laughs> that makes sense. There you go. That's much Mike better. Mike should know how to use a mic. Sorry, you would guys. Th- you've got a giant mic on your t- Part of your logo for microphone is a microphone. We just did. remember we had to get this in the prop <laughs> picture. Yeah, well, of course we did. You got I'm good have, now. I'm you good know now. all about the branding. We had to do that. Yep. So welcome. This is, uh, this is exciting. Illinois Craft Beer Week. People are like, how did that? That grew out of grew out of Chicago Craft Beer Week, right? So first of all, Danielle, tell us tell us about the uh, Illinois Craft Brewers Guild. It sounds like you know a secret society where people wear hoods and they just drink beer out of old wooden mugs. Is that am I anywhere close? It's certainly a big part of it. Okay, um, good. But, <laughs> but but not all of it. Um, no, thank you, Brian, for having us on uh, this evening. Yeah, the Illinois Craft Brewers Guild was founded in 1997. Our mission is to promote to promote the development and expansion of the craft beer industry in Illinois. And um, now is, a, is an exciting time as ever. We have over 230 craft breweries uh, located around the state. And so... Uh, that is amazing. How many... When you when the guild started, how many were there? Just for perspective, do you know? Oh, in 1997? Yeah. There Four. might have been a handful. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> say five. Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. So we really saw that, that expansion kind of take off in 2010 after we passed the original craft brewers license that allowed a small and independent brewery to be able to self-distribute and and interact directly with retailers and consumers without having to go through a distributor. So that really provided the ability of of small producers to be able to interact directly again with retailers, with consumers, build their brand. And as they grew, then move into distribution. But, uh, you know, for a small brewery, 
that was everything to right. not have to have the the startup costs or um, the the thirty percent share that automatically goes to distributor to get their beer out. Oh wow! See, no, I I'm guessing most people don't know it's that that big of a chunk. I'm I'm one of those people, and that had to be something that I'm guessing the guild was met with a lot of resistance from certain factions. You know, it was interesting the the impetus for the start of all of this was a court case around Anheuser Busch owning thirty percent stake in a distributor. Okay, um, and so. The Liquor Control Commission said that's in more than one tier. So we're based on, we have a three-tier system. Alcohol is highly regulated, and it should be. Sure. And so you have your manufacturers, your distributors, and your retailers. But you're not supposed to have cross-ownership ah. in, in more than one tier. So the Liquor Control Commission stepped in and said, you're going to have to sell these shares. And at the time, though, that was going to impact two small breweries, one in Chicago in Pullman, Argus Brewing, and okay. then one down south in Murfreesboro, Big Muddy Brewing, were these really small producers, yeah. a couple hundred barrels a year, right. but they were self-distributing. Okay. And so this was going to put that ability at risk. So the court deferred to the legislature and said, we don't want to completely inhibit um, or prohibit these small breweries from being able to continue self-distributing, come up with a solution. Okay. So we worked with, state, with stakeholders from the distributors, the retailers, um, across beer, wine, and spirits. And and the outcome was this craft brewer's license that if you produced under a certain amount of beer, you could self-distribute half of that. Okay. So that was really the catalyst then that provided this incredible expansion of, of craft breweries across Illinois. Because now these brewers thought, well, as long as, as long as I can produce something, I can get it out there. People don't have to come and find me. Because not... You know, we think of some of brewers that have tap rooms. Well, not every brewer has a tap room. They need they need to get their beer out another way. So this was, you know, this was a way to do it. There's been a more recent legislation too that helped out the small brewers or the craft brewers and their tap rooms. Explain that one. Yeah, we last year worked with the legislator, the legislature, to pass a law that would allow tap rooms to be able to sell guest beer and cider, okay. so a gluten free option for for folks that um, that can't um, or or don't prefer beer. I don't know who those people are, but you know, I'm sure they're out there and they, so they need a beverage. So, as someone who drinks a lot of beer, um, <laughs> it actually is kind of nice to to have yes. the alternative, and 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 that's been. A really neat part of of my work over the past maybe four or five months is is visiting different tap rooms across the state and seeing a cider option. Yeah. And so a lot of small brewers are not making cider because that falls under a winemaker's license. Okay. And so they're there to make their beer, but then they're buying cider from a handful of small cideries across Illinois and right. serving that out of their tap rooms. And so it's just neat to see that collaboration um, and that that environment, which is what we talk about so often in the community of, of craft brewers, um, supporting one another and, and, and the craft that they that they produce. Now, does the law require the guest uh, the guest taps to be local or can they be can you bring in a cider from wherever if, if you want? I mean, uh, optimally, you'll bring in somebody local and support but you you don't have to by law. You can do it. From sure. Law. And so I'll use um, no. So you can bring in any beer, okay. uh, guest beer or cider you want to. You're you're not allowed to um, to sell wine or spirits. Okay. Um, we we included cider because it people just typically identify it yeah. more in line with line of beer than mm -hmm. they do wine. Um, and it was a natural fit. And again, it provided that gluten free option um, for uh, for consumers. But so Mike. Um, he does a lot of uh, collaborations with different breweries from across the country. And so he could make a beer out in, in Colorado at a brewery out there. And then he could serve that out of his tap room now um, where he was restricted from doing that before. Or, you know, with that partnership, 
he could just have a beer that this a brewery in another state was doing um, and, and sell it to consumers that were, you know, had experienced that brewery before um, with the collaboration and, and wanted to to try something else that they were doing. Very nice. We're going to talk more about uh, the Craft Brewers Guild and especially uh, I've been mentioning this since I got on the economic impact that craft beer is having in this state, a state that uh, desperately needs jobs and money. Uh, Coming, coming from an area that a lot of people probably wouldn't think. Uh, so we'll talk about that with Danielle D'Alessandro. She's the executive director of Illinois Craft Brewers Guild Craft Beer Week. Uh, Illinois Craft Beer Week starts May 10th, we must say. Illinois. Now, we're going to take a quick break, and then we are going to meet Mike Palin. Uh, he is the owner. He is the head brewer of Microphone Brewing. He may not know how to use a microphone, but he does know how to <laughs> brew beer. So we will talk to him, and then we'll get into uh, some of the particulars of Illinois Craft Brew Week with a big fundraising uh, event that will kick off the whole thing, a very unique and fun event. So we'll do all of that after this 720 WGN. We are talking about beer on 720 WGN. The Illinois Craft Brewers Guild is hosting Illinois Craft Beer Week. It starts May 10th with a big, a big fundraiser. Uh, Danielle D'Alessandro is here. She's the executive director. And uh, now we are going to meet Mike Palin. He is the owner and head brewer of Microphone Brewing which is one of the beers that will be at Beer Under Glass, which is the big fundraiser to kick off Illinois Craft Brew Week. It happens at the uh, Garfield Park, uh, conserv- uh, not conservatory, yeah. but yes, conservatory. All of a sudden I was like, wait, that's in L.A. Wait, no, we have one here too. <laughs> I got very confused. Welcome, Mike. Good to see you. Thank you for having me. Uh, my pleasure. So give it, when did you start brewing beer? Because you, unlike a lot of guys that I've talked to, you actually come from a... You know, a beer background, right? Yeah, yep. So I grew up in uh, McGowanago, Wisconsin, just outside of Milwaukee, and my dad was working at Miller, so I was kind of always around it. Um, yeah. But I was more of a, a straight arrow in high school and had my head in the books and wanted to get to a good college. So I That's got good. to uh, University of Wisconsin-Madison. Actually, there is why I got more exposed to beer and actually a botany well, sure. class. Because it's a huge party school. Yeah, of course. it is. Number one party school <laughs> when I was there. So I definitely got quickly introduced to it. But um, one of the classes I took as a, a prerequisite botany class and it was called the evolution of human and plants and man and in that class they challenged you to either grow a garden or brew a beer and i'm like really i'm gonna brew a beer yeah so that's right and back in 2002 was my first time i brewed a beer and wow. this was i in that time i lived in a four-bedroom apartment with eight guys so this, <laughs> and we brewed this beer in that apartment and it was just it was it was an experience i'll never forget because it was a mess we fermented it in the the, the um, heater room it, it was a, um, a newcastle clone Turned out great, just incredibly boozy for what okay. we were drinking at the time. You know, going from oh, Miller yeah. Light to a, a Newcastle clone, it, uh, it it rocked us all. But yeah. we got a great great score in the in the class and the the project, and uh, it kind of sparked the interest. So okay. once I moved down from Wisconsin to Chicago, my mom got me a second kit, a second homebrew kit, and then it took me until like 2010 when we finally got a house that I had a basement that was all kind of set up to be a, a yeah. little brewery in the basement. Okay. And so 2010s when uh, I was working in the marketing industry, and I decided that instead of taking just a blank amber bottle to somebody, I wanted to put a sticker that had a brand on it. Yeah. So uh, when thinking of names, we uh, I just wanted to meld my two passions of music and beer together, and we created Microphone Brewing in the basement. Very nice. We started off there, and uh, you know, with the power of social media, I was able to kind of get the word out. And then also with, at that time, the smaller craft breweries in Chicago were starting to pop up. So okay. the Pipeworks and the Spitefuls and 18th Streets. So I'd poke my head in there and help out whenever they needed help. And okay. one by one, they gave me some uh, great advice and great tips and gave me the confidence to kind of go on our own. So we officially took the brand pro in 2015. Wow. Now, it seems like there's uh, breweries popping up every day. And so to make 
to make headway, to break into the market, it's got to be tough. What's the what's the strategy you use? You, you mentioned popping into some of the other breweries. You're talking to people, and it does seem like the community is very supportive of each other. But in the end, everybody is trying to you know trying to make a buck. So it's how do you break in? How do you how do you get microphone out there where people can actually uh, start drinking it other than social media? Yeah, it's when I get asked this all the time. Like, if you had to start a brewery today, what would you do? I'm like, I probably wouldn't because honestly, <laughs> like the landscape has changed so fast yeah. and so quick. And when I when we you know officially launched in 15, we were only like 4,000 breweries across the U.S. Okay, now we're pushing up to 8,000 almost. Yeah. It's 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 out of control. Um, there's definitely thirsty people, and we're sure. continuing to grow that that piece of the pie. Um, but when we did start, what I did use is obviously social media was a big player in that. Yeah. Um, I was able to kind of just kind of tell my story. And that's always how it's been. It's uh, It was me the whole time. Um, it's now me and my wife own the company. And that's it. It's a family-written company. Um, but it's always just been sharing our story, what we're doing, why we're doing mm. it, um, the kind of the things that we're experiencing, and just being open and honest with everybody and sharing that. And then what, what I've done over the last two years is really hit the road, got out okay. there and done a lot of collaborations through not just the U.S., but outside of the country too and just linking up with those like-minded brewers and kind of developing you know your kind of your brands together and sharing your markets and introducing new people to your brand and then also just kind of you know bettering each other across the board you know we continue to learn that every state has different regulations and so when i can come back and be like hey this state's able to do this we should kind of think about that and that's when i can have that direct conversation with danelle and And then the guild can start working on it and talking to the right people to try to en- enact yeah, that, that. That's actually how um, I, I get some of the inspiration or my ideas for what we can do um, down in Springfield, uh, different laws that we can change, um, particularly as it related to, to guest beer and cider. Um, and then even part of that legislation last year was um, creating an offsite warehouse permit. So okay. for brewers to be able to to store um, beer uh, where the taxes have been paid, um, but they can store that offsite so that they have additional room in the brewery if they want to oh. put in new tanks or different equipment, um, a canning line. Um, and and, and both of those different ideas came from being out in um, in the state and visiting some of our members and asking, hey, so what, what's what's going well or what are some of the challenges that you have? And, um, you know, one brewer was like, you know, we'd really like to be able to sell cider out of our tap room. That would that'd be really important for yeah. the consumers that come in um, that come in here on a regular basis. Um, and then another was like, we'd really like to be able to store beer off site and we can't right now. Um, so, yeah, having those ideas um, that that that. That collaboration, um, that that constant flow of communication is incredibly important. And the other thing I would note too is, um, to, to Mike's point about not opening up a brewery um, <laughs> in 2019, um, yeah, it's it's unlikely you're going to see another revolution, Goose Island, Half Acre pop up and, and, and explode okay. in, in terms of their volume and how right. much they're producing. Um, but I think that we have around 10,000 wineries in the U.S. and, right. and no one has said. Well, we've we've reached we've a reached, saturation yeah, sure. point. No one, you know, we don't want any more wineries. Um, so yeah, everybody th- doesn't have to sell those kind of numbers. A- absolutely know? not. They don't, they, you no. don't have to. You don't have to be huge. You can still be small and successful. And that's what we're seeing: is those small breweries are, are anchors in their communities in a in a way yeah. that there there it was absent um, before. Um, there is a brewery, Hand of Fate, in Peters. Um, in Petersburg, Illinois, and they went into a Dollar General store and okay. completely revitalized the downtown yeah. area. So it's it's been really neat to, to see that. Well, we're, we're going to talk more about the economic impact after the news, but before we go to the news, uh, Mike, you, you're going to be at uh, Beer Under Glass, which is May 10th at the Garfield Park Observatory. It is the kickoff event for 
Illinois Craft Beer Week, and we will talk about its a fundraiser, what's it raising funds for. But you can get tickets at IllinoisBeer.org. So, no, you can't? You actually cannot. You um, cannot? Is it sold out? It, it is. It, it is well sold out. Then. <laughs> well then. But you're, you've got a beer. You've got one of the beers you're going to showcase there. What did you bring? Yeah, so we've so we got um, one news. of our kind of staple beers is called Imperial Smells Like Bean Spirit. It's a Imperial breakfast out with um, Vermont maple syrup. And then we also use coffee. And a coffee is from Tugboat Coffee out of Addison, Illinois. Okay. So local. Um, so what we do every year then is we also do the barrel-aged version of it. So we put ah. it in some Heaven Hill barrels that sit there for 9 to 12 months, whatever we determine is the best um, option for it, and then pull it out and then do a huge release around it and a fest around it. Oh, so actually that just nice. happened this weekend. So okay. yesterday yesterday was our fest. Um, nice. In the uh, random snow globe blizzard. But you know what? For a it blizzard, there's nothing better than a nice stout. Exactly. That's a it perfect was, beer. If you were doing mm-hmm. a tropical IPA yesterday, it would have been like, Ugh. But a stout fits yesterday's it was, weather. It was great. It, honestly, it was one of those things that just became laughable. It wasn't a downpour. It was just <laughs> snow, and everyone had a blast. We had a bunch of brewers from Florida who had shorts only and, yeah. and sandals, and oh, they're like, geez. well, we don't experience this ever. This is one yeah. that we'll never forget. So... So yeah, this is the uh, the 2019 version of Barrel Aged Imperial Smells Like Bean Spirit. All right, we will uh, we'll try that. We'll talk more about that. More with Mike Palin, the owner and head brewer of Microphone Brewing, and more with Danielle Delessandro, the executive director of Illinois Craft Brewers Guild. Illinois Craft Beer Week starts May 10th. Uh, you can't go to Beer Under Glass, but we'll tell you about it and make you very very envious. And we'll do all <laughs> that after the news, which comes after this on WGN. Brian Newton, 720 WGN. We're talking beer, and I'm shocking Mike Palin, the owner and uh, head brewer at Microphone Brewing, because he just got a uh, picture. His kids are watching on the stream. You can watch at WGNRadio.com. Sure, Mike, you didn't know they were they could watch you? No. Just that they could listen I, to you? Oh, I didn't know either. Well, Danielle, Danielle D'Alessandro's here. She's the executive director of the Illinois Craft <laughs> Brewers Guild. Yes, well, you both look fine. You, you okay, look fine. Okay, You're okay. Not, you haven't picked your nose. You haven't done anything uh, horrible during the yeah. uh, during the interview. Yeah, we still have about 20 minutes, so that's, uh, that's, that's very good. All right. Uh, Illinois Craft Beer Week starts May 10th with a huge event that you cannot go to because it's sold out. But you can start planning for next year. Tell Danielle, tell us a little bit about Beer Under Glass. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Um, this is in its 10th year now. Okay. So this is um, the main fundraiser for the Garfield Park Conservatory Alliance and for the Illinois Craft Brewers Guild. So it supports the conservatory and their programming throughout the year, and then it supports our mission. Um, so I, I noted that that's... Um, you know, we're looking at um, the promotion for the development and expansion of the craft beer industry in Illinois. Um, we focus in three areas, education, advocacy, and um, and education. So our promotion is, is from the standpoint with our festivals, um, with uh, with Beer Under Glass, and then with FOBAB, the Festival of Wooden Barrel-Aged Beer in November. Um, education, we host an annual conference and trade show, and we do technical seminars for our members throughout the year, and then advocacy. So as we've talked about some of the laws that we've worked to pass in mm-hmm. Illinois. Um, so the money that, that we raise from the event um, on May 10th, Beer Under Glass, directly supports that work that we do. Very nice. And I mentioned it a couple times, so let's get down to it. What is the economic impact of the craft beer industry in this state? Because it's to me, it was staggering. Yeah, and actually, I think we provided you with 2016 numbers. Okay. Um, so in 2016, um, the industry had over a $2.6 billion economic impact. In 2017, that's estimated at 3.1. Wow. And we support over 16,000 direct and indirect jobs. So you're you know, from manufacturing to to transportation, hospitality, tourism, and everything in between. So, what's also 
I think great about this industry, what I love talking about is that, you know, brewers aren't building new buildings. They're right. going into existing vacant yeah. buildings. So whether it's a you know half acre beer company, their location up in Balmoral here in Chicago, it was a lighting assembly company okay. that moved out and the building was was left vacant before they came in. Um, there's a brewery that um, is in Blue Island. And it was an auto body shop before they went into it. Um, Mike, I don't know. Do you, what was what was, was microphone a, a brewing? Painting, a painting company. So Sorry. yeah, a painting company. So you have these small businesses that are going into existing buildings right. and again, just transforming the, the community and the neighborhood around them. Well, I know uh, from personal experience, I, I live in Berwyn and Flapjack Brewery opened up in a vacant storefront on the strip and they've become, like you said, you said this with a lot and I'm sure Mike, it's the same thing with you. These, these small brewers in their tap rooms do become, they're the new corner tavern. They're where people meet because one, you feel good about supporting a local business. Mm-hmm. Two, you're getting a, a product that you feel, oh, this is this is mine. You know, mm-hmm. I found these guys. They're they're the place I can go. So it's it's unbelievable. That's a huge number. Yeah, yeah it is. And and tap rooms and brew pubs alike, um, they're family friendly. Yeah. A lot of them are pet friendly if they yes. don't have full kitchens. Um, they're hosting local charities. Mm-hmm. So Mike raised money yesterday for two local charities. Um, mm-hmm. You have a lot of breweries that support local musicians and artists. Low Res Brewing in Pilsen here in Chicago, they work with local artists um, to to do their their label designs. Um, they have artists come in and and will will paint in the tap room or in their yeah. bathrooms. And so it really is support about supporting the the community around them. And again, they're they're serving as anchors in their communities. I always like telling the story when I was up in Crystal Lake at Crystal Lake Brewing Company on a Saturday afternoon. There was a family of four. You had a um, husband and wife and their two kids and the two kids are drinking pop um and and the husband and wife each have a flight of beer and the four of them are playing a board game yeah. and and that's how they they wanted to spend their saturday afternoon it is amazing uh, my wife and i did that a couple weeks ago we had we stopped at a local uh, local brewery and we played uh i forget we played scrabble for the first time in years we <laughs> sat we each had a couple of pints and we played scrabble for a couple hours it was like this was a, and people were coming in with their dogs and yes. it was just it was really nice. It was it was fun. I had to laugh because Mike was talking about something, and you corrected him on terminology. How important is the different terminology? I'm sure from a uh, legislative standpoint, it's very important. But you you there's tap rooms, there's tasting rooms. There explain some of the terminology and why. It's so important to the Illinois Craft Brewers Guild. Sure, it's certainly uh, you know from my background, um, which is uh, politics. Um, I'm thinking it from it from the regulatory standpoint, yes. the licensing standpoint, and, and so I am usually quick to, to point out if, <laughs> to if someone's someone. um, uh, not correct. Um, but you you have your your I tap use rooms. The air quotes. Yeah, she did use there, the air there. We go. Um, <laughs> you you have your tap rooms, which. Um, you know, come from or are, are connected to the brewery. And then you have brew pubs. And okay. so brew pubs are considered retailers, kind of like your bars, your restaurants, um, even your off-premise accounts like a Binnie's or a Jewel okay. or a Target. Um, as a retailer, they can serve other types of alcohol, um, wine ah, and spirits. Okay. They A lot of them do have full kitchens, but some of them don't. Um, they also have an ability to host events off of their licensed premise, as oh. retailers, so they okay. can participate in a street festival, a farmers market, a tap room, which again connected to a brewery is is classified as a manufacturer. So they cannot sell other alcohol. Okay, but 
they could have a full kitchen if they wanted to. And so we're just careful to use the correct terminology um, because we want to make sure that consumers are getting correct information. So we do an annual brewery map, a printed map of all of the the members of the guilds. Um, It's the summer passport. So we do do a summer passport program. This this is is separate. Oh, okay. Um, So we're just... You got constantly, a lot going on, yeah. yes. Constantly, I, I, you know, I had my summer passport up. last year, so I'm looking forward to getting a new one, which but, starts May yeah, 10th this year as well. Nice. Um, and so, on our, our brewery map, we we designate with you know a different color code if you're a tap room, if you're just a bottle shop, if you're a brew pub. But then on top of that, we say, all right, do you have a full kitchen or do you serve okay. food? Are you pet friendly? Um, because there is that distinction. Yeah. And and so when we were chatting about too was was Goose Island on Clybourne, yes. and a lot of people still think that. They're referred to Goose Island on Clybourne as a brew pub, but they're actually a, a brewery. So ah. they have a full kitchen there, but they can only sell Anheuser-Busch or AB products out of that location. Okay. And they're new. The The one in, uh, is it on Fulton? Mm-hmm. That one is, that one also would be a, a brewery. A brewery. Okay. Mm-hmm. So brewery is, brewery is different than taproom. Yes, it is. All right. Or no, sorry. Brew pub is different than taproom. Brew pub is different than taproom, but the brewery is the same. People can get that uh, brew map at IllinoisBeer.org, right? Even though they can't get their tickets anymore for beer under glass because it's sold out. You waited too long. We do have a brew map that is is up to date on our website, but we print those maps out. And so consumers can go into taprooms. Mike actually should have some brewery maps um, at his taproom. So, I mean, they're in there free. So people people walk in and can grab a map. And where is the microphone tap room? Microphone brewing tap room. We are up in room? Elk Grove Village, Illinois. Okay. So. And uh, your uh, let me see. The website is microphonebrewing.com. Simple and easy. All right, let's uh, let's shift back to this beer because we tried the barrel-aged Imperial Smells Like Bean Spirit. Yep. And uh, I am well known for my advocacy of dark beers and stouts and barrel-aged cuz you know, I want a beer that's going to pretty much knocked me down uh this was this was great and you were saying that it's not some some people are now making sweeter stouts and this is because you started doing this in 2015 this is this is not that this is not a super sweet stout despite hearing oh it's got maple syrup in it it's going to be thick and syrupy it is not yeah so we were kind of talking about the whole there's this vibe of florida florida stout where it's super super coily sweet and people love that i mean with the, the move into mead the meat is yeah. very sweet as well with all the honey. Um, but when this beer was first designed back in 2015, it was just meant to be a, um, a simple breakfast stout that finished nice and smooth and dry. Um, so we've kept that as the base. Um, but then, obviously, maple syrup gives it a little bit of a kick. Mm-hmm. But with this version, with it being in the barrels, it kind of finishes nice and dry and a little bit of booze on the back. Yeah, and it's nice. And so this is something that would be at uh, Fulbab, the festival of uh, wood and barrel-aged beers. Even though you... and Now, traditionally... This kind of beer is more of a fall-winter thing. What? Why did you at Microphone decide, you know, we're going to do it at a different time of year? Yeah, so we um, we decided that we are going to be trying to do a barrel-aged beer every month going forward. Really? There's definitely a market for it. There is. People uh, like to get... Uh People and like you, that and, heavy, the, the stronger beers. Yeah, and the beauty of it, too, is that you could sell or something like this. So mm-hmm. you could get it right now in April and then drink it in, in the fall or in the winter okay. if you want to. Um, how long... Now, all right, you're you're brewing this, so you know best. Yep. How long... Because you know as well as I do. There's some people, and Danielle, you probably won't like this terminology. There's some freaks who will buy a <laughs> beer and they'll keep it for six years. At what point... Is there diminishing returns? You know, if I, if like you say, I buy this now and I drink it in September, October, that yeah, that seems reasonable. Yep. 
Most beer is, is best drank fresh. Right. Yes, right. We, yeah. we as the brewers decide to pull it out when we think it's ready to be consumed. Yes, yeah, so, so as we soon as you bottle you, it, yep. you should drink, drink it. it. Yeah, 100%. Right. But there is also people have different preferences. Like with we just released the variant of it, which has uh, vanilla and double maple. Ooh. And some people are like, wow, way too much vanilla. The other person's like, not enough vanilla. <laughs> so it just depends on your palate and what you want to get out of right. it. So you might have the first bottle. And that's actually why we switched to this uh, smaller format. We used to be in a 750 bottle. Oh, wow. Okay. Now we're in these 12s because we wanted to give uh, the consumer the option to crack one open now. If it's they're liking, they'll drink all, all four. Right. Or if it's not, let it kind of mellow out, age out, and see what they think of it as throughout the year. And what is the next beer that you brought that is going to be featured at Beer Under Glass? So this is a, a fun project that I task my other brewers. They are allowed to you know design a beer. Ah, very nice. Every other quarter, and, and, and you are a that. benevolent dictator. I like that. <laughs> but um, I have it's, it, this is a, a funny story at microphone. My um, brewer and cellarman Mike, and my name is Mike. His middle name is Joseph. So is mine. He has a son named Miles, and so do I. All right. The, so, is that the re- prerequisite for working at Microphone? Everyone has to have the middle name of Joseph, yes. <laughs> and literally, we have five of them on staff that have middle name Joseph. Right, are you accepting applications, by yeah, the way? It's, it's hilarious. It's hilarious. Right now, everybody whose middle name is Joseph who has any interest in beer <laughs> Send is like, an email over, yeah. my, my brother's middle name is Joseph. <laughs> oh, there you go. All right. Part of the family. There we go. <laughs> um, so I had done, I always make uh, a birthday beer for my kids. I let them kind of come up with the idea. Should kids be drinking beer? They don't definitely they won't they drink know, it. Where does, uh, where does the state fall on that? We, they we do, do not encourage <laughs> underage consumption. And my, my daughter, who's been brewing with me, she's six now. She's been brewing with me since she's, she's <laughs> like six months. Okay. Well, I always be like, hey, do you want to try your beer? And she's like, no, I'm not big enough. That's, so look that's, at that. We laid that down what early. a responsible so, young yeah. lady. Yep. Good so for her. I brewed a beer called... He'd give, he'd give credit to, to your daughter, by the way, not not the parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was, oh, no, yeah, of course. She knows what's up. Yeah, yeah she's a smart six-year-old. Yep. So I brewed a beer called I Can Brew for Miles for my son. Yes. And then Mike wanted to brew a beer for his son. So he did I Can Brew for Miles and Miles. And Miles. So this year he did a uh, coconut banana cream pie IPA. Wow. So it is is a lot of stuff going on in there. We've got uh, toasted coconut, banana puree, vanilla lactose and um, some hops in there. We used a new hop called Sabro, which has a, a coconut-esque note to it to bring up that coconut flavor. Very nice. Well, we'll try some of that. We'll talk more with uh, Mike Palin, the owner and head brewer from Microphone Brewing, and uh, Danielle D'Alessandro, who is the executive director of Illinois Craft Brewers Guild. Illinois Craft Beer Week starts May 10th. Uh, there are all sorts of events going on for Illinois Craft Beer Week. Uh, you can go to IllinoisBeer.org to get that. Where else Where else can people go to get the full range of things that are happening for Illinois Craft Beer Week? Yeah, you can go to our website, IllinoisBeer.org backslash ICBW. You can also download our app, though, and okay. that gives you a way to... To look at all the events, you can star them, so it puts it in your planner, so you nice. make sure you don't you don't miss out. Um, so yeah, folks should be checking that back regularly because we're we're now starting to to see our brewery members, bars, restaurants, um, everyone adding events for for that week. So. Yeah, there's a lot of tap takeovers. There's all there's all sorts of things going on. So the app, mm-hmm. they could just go to Illinois Beer and search that. What what should they search in the app store? Um, just ICBG. ICBG. All right. More about beer on the other side. It's seven twenty WGN. Are you a craft beer aficionado? Then you know this already. Illinois Craft Beer Week starts May 10th. It go, uh, things happening not only here in the city. Stuff's happening in the city. Is Are there things happening all across the state for Illinois Craft Beer Week? So you need to go to IllinoisBeer.org. You can find out all the information. Download the app for IC, uh, Illinois Craft Beer ICBW. Right? 
Oh, for the Guild. <laughs> sure. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. The Guild. <laughs> That's Danielle D'Alessandro. She's the executive director of Illinois Craft Beers Brewers Guild. And Mike Palin is here. He's the owner and head brewer of Microphone Brewing. Um, Beer Under Glass, the big event that kicks off Illinois Craft Beer Week. Unfortunately for you, if you waited too long, it is sold out. goes to benefit uh, Garfield Park Conservatory and uh, the Illinois Craft Brewers Guild, doing fine work to support all these brewers. Uh, Chicago now, I, I read, leads the is the craft beer capital. Is that correct of the of the country? That's correct. So the the Brewers Association is the national organization that represents small and independent breweries, and they have an economist there. And so, based on the Chicago land, the metro area, we have the most breweries of, of any other area in the country. So we uh, we are pretty excited about that designation. Yeah, and it's funny. No matter what part of the city or the the surrounding suburbs you live in, you're not far from. You know, I look where I live, and I'm like. Boy, I could go to like five or six breweries within a ten-minute drive. You know, I, I appreciate you saying that, Brian. Um, that that's that's exactly right. And so it's one reason why we've continued to do our passport program that yes. you alluded to earlier. Um, we have a summer passport that runs. Um, the program runs from May 10th through August 10th. And we have 154 breweries that are participating across the state. And so if you visit at least 40 of them and you mail in your author, you rip out your authorization page, mail that into us, um, we provide you a complimentary year's worth of our craft enthusiast um, membership program. Very nice. Um, but to that point, you know, you could potentially visit, you know, five to 10 breweries in yes. one weekend based on where you are where you're located. So you need to work on legislation for infrastructure for a trolley there you or go. high speed rail between all of these breweries. Well, because so we're out. We're out. In Uber kind gets of, expensive. Elk Grove Village is, you know, out of the city. And yes. There's, there's no good way to get there through public transportation outside of Uber and Lyft. Right. Um, but that when I had said earlier, like I would not start a brew today. It wasn't based on because there's too many or this. Not, like I actually being the only brewery in Elk Grove, we're encouraging another brewery to come out there. Yeah. Because people use it as a destination. If there's exactly. more than one, they'll bounce between them or two or three, whatever. Um, I would love to see another brewery out there, a distillery. We, they actually, based on the success of Microphone in Elk Grove, the village wrote a new ordinance to allow a distillery to come in. Oh, wow. Okay. So still, they're actively looking for one. Yeah. Um, but it hasn't happened yet, but I love that. That'd be that'd be great partnership for all of us to work hand in hand and have people bounce around because craft cocktails and craft beer go mm -hmm. together. And it was, I know out in, and I'm, I'm forgetting the two breweries right now, but not too uh, far western suburbs. There was they had done a collaboration, so they were on a big release weekend. They did have a shuttle going between the two breweries. So yeah. if you went to to this one and you tried it, okay, now get on the bus, go to the other one, try their stuff. So it was a nice. It goes back to what I said before about the brewer community. While everybody wants to do well on their own, it is a very supportive community. Yeah, I mean, even though there's a ton of us, we're also still a small part of that that yeah. pie. Um, and so together we can better ourselves and lift each other up and help each other out. So here we ha we ha in, in Chicago, we have a group on Facebook called the Itty Bitty Brewers Club. Okay. And it'd be like, hey, does anybody have a bag of rice holes I could borrow or have these hops? And everyone's like, oh, I got you. Come on over and, you know, just replace it or, you know, pay me for it. And so we're, we're here to help each other out. We're That's really, cool. and I think the guild has done a good job of, you know, bringing us together. And there's a, there's a listserv on there where we can ask yeah. questions and kind of support each other and, and, and build this thing to be better and better every year. Well, and it's smart too, because going back to the point you guys both made that the, the craft brewers are becoming the neighborhood gathering point. Well, okay, if I don't live in Elk Grove, and I'm not going to be in Elk Grove, I'm going to stay at my local brewers. You know that. The, my local brewers know that. So what does it hurt for you and them to help each other out? Yep. You know, There's a good chance that pe people may never 
who aren't around there or aren't going on the tour with the passport, they're gonna they're gonna miss some breweries. That's just there's so many they're gonna oh, yeah. miss some. So why not? The more you have, the more you guys uh, stay together and build it up, the better. Let's talk a little bit about this. I can brew for miles and miles, which is going to be featured at Beer Under Glass. Yep, uh, it is. It's very hazy. Tell me the style because it looks. It almost looks like grapefruit juice. It's delicious. What is it? What is it? So it's a milkshake IPA base, and so a milkshake Explain IPA. That, yeah. yeah. So milkshake IPA is um, the key components to that is using um, lactose or milk sugar. Okay. And then vanilla, and then ah. Hops. And so in this one, we took it to the next level and did the, the cream pie aspect to it. So added yeah. the coconut and the banana. And it just kind of makes this sweet, decadent dessert beer. It's very good. And now it's does, not bitter like we were talking about. Yeah, you know, we, does, we, the, does the lactose cut the, the hops? Is that what makes it less bitter? It, 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 lactose is non-fermentable, so it, it increases the sweetness. Okay. And so that sweetness helps kind of balance all that out together. But also with this style, it's kind of a, a New England-style base that turned into a milkshake style. Um, we do very little hopping in the kettle. So you're not getting a lot of the bitterness. Okay. A lot of it's all tail end at the Whirlpool or hop stand and then with a, a nice dry hop. And like I said, we use Sabro this time to kind of get those coconut notes out of the Sabro hops to amplify what we're going for here. Well, it is delicious. If you want to sample this or any of Mike's other uh, concoctions, delicious brews, you need to go to Microphone Brewing. Uh, the website is, of course, Microphone Brewing, and it's M-I-K-E-R, phonebrewing.com. And uh, go go to IllinoisBeer.org. Find out all the different events that are going to be happening during Illinois Craft Beer Week. As Danielle said, the craft beer industry is really pumping a lot of jobs and money and revenue into this state. So support your local brewers. Mass brewers, they're always going to be there. Your local brewers need your support. Go out. They're they're putting their heart and soul into this stuff, and it is uh, it's paying off. You're going to sit there. You're going to enjoy a nice beer. You're gonna you're gonna know that you're helping your community. And the stories of all all brewers have a story. You know, guys in some big corporate warehouse somewhere, they don't have a story. But every brewer that I've talked to, they were all, they were always doing something, and then they went, I really have to do this. So it's a calling. It's not just, I want to make beer. Yeah. There's there's something in there. So congratulations on, uh, on that, Mike. The beers are fantastic. I look forward to seeing you at Beer Under Glass. And Danielle, thank you so much. Uh, and keep, you know, keep working to uh, keep these guys and, and women all in... Uh, all in business. Thanks, Brian. I actually couldn't have said it better than, than you just did, so I have nothing to add. <laughs> <laughs> Illinois Craft Beer Week starts May 10th. Go to IllinoisBeer.org to get all the information, microphonebrewing.com, and all the other wonderful breweries in the state of Illinois. All right, we got to do this. Then it's news time, 720 WGN.